0: Hello and welcome to episode 81 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray pretending to have control over what is in truth essentially a rudderless ship. Each week we start this podcast with intention of discussing one thing or another but invariably we end up somewhere completely unrelated and especially so when today's guest is part of the panel. Yes, it's one of our truly great luxuries to simply sit and talk about golf with Mike Clayton. That, I'm pleased to say, is precisely what we're going to do today. Mike, along in just a moment, but not before my co-host Adrian Lowe, who's arrived with his weekly contribution of coffee, and no doubt a sense of excitement, as I have, about chatting golf with Clates
1: today. Absolutely. That's what people tune in for, isn't it? A meandering conversation?
0: Apparently. The, the three <laughs> or four who do... We've got it down to just we, those two. We, who... we managed to weed out all the golf-interested <laughs> yeah. people, and there's just... Uh, if we remember-
1: keep going at this rate, we'll just be able to host like the two or three people <laughs> who listen. Do live we'll be able to host them in here. Right here in the studio. <laughs> yeah. This
0: reminded me. I thought about this. As well. Do you remember the first time we ever had Clates on? was on the iSeek podcast. Uh-huh. And after about the first two minutes of the show after this bit, we just somehow, we had great intentions what we were going to talk about, and then we had a 25-minute discussion about course furniture. Do you recall that? Oh, <laughs> Just glorious. this rabbit hole that yeah. we disappeared into. <laughs> Set the tone for everything that was to follow. We can only hope that today's discussion will be as entertaining as that one. Without further ado, let me get him involved. If you're a listener to Golf Podcast, he really needs no introduction except to say that he's a former European tour player taunt, turned course architect with the firm Clayton de Vries and Pont, but most importantly, a commentator and analyst on all aspects of the game. Mike Clayton, it's always a pleasure. Welcome, my
2: friend. Thank you, Rob. Nice to talk to you and... No doubt we'll go down some rabbit holes this morning.
0: No question about that. I'm going to get you to turn your microphone down a little bit because <laughs> actually we've made you turn it up too. There was a yeah. few technical issues with Clates this morning. How Great, with-
2: that?
0: That sounds good, yeah. Right. Great with uh, golf, not so good with uh, with microphones and technical stuff. Now, Clates, I missed you on Inside the Ropes yesterday. Did you say anything interesting? Have you had any blowback? What have you done? Who have you upset this week?
2: Uh, Who did I upset? Well, I, I recall the 1981 article in The Age that Peter Thompson wrote where he had a very well-intentioned shot at the Australian players for failing to win on the Australian tour coming up to the Australian Open in 1981. I think Bill Rogers had won the New South Wales Open, Eamon Darcy had won, um, maybe Payne Stewart had won it the week before in Tweed Heads. So I can't you so though Sam Torrance had won the PGA and he was, as Peter did, he was having a very well-intentioned shot. At, Come on, you guys. Get your act together. And, of course, Greg took it completely the wrong way and what shot. called him a <laughs> bloody <but he's> whinging. <laughs> you know, he's no support, whinging, critical bastard. You know, who, you know who, who is this old bloke? So, anyway, completely missing the point of the column. Uh, and my shot yesterday was at the, um, you know, the threatening to deceive performance of the Australians, who Scott Day, who didn't even play, Leishman Smith, who all should be doing better in the majors than they do, mm. which is which is you can argue the the other point quite easy. I mean, they're tremendous players. Cameron Smith made four and a half million dollars this year on the tour, but
0: well, they're good you know, players who should be doing better, aren't they? Clayton? and when they it themselves, like well, Louis, does yeah, they themselves would know that. You, yeah. I think if you ask all of them to be honest, they'd all say the same thing that they're probably underperforming realistically to not even contend.
2: Well, it's crazy that Adam Scott you know, major after major, you would think at some point he's going to be in the top three or four and have a shot at winning it. But when was the last time he had a shot at winning a major for such a beautiful yeah, player? Yeah. And I mean, I love the way he plays. I love watching him play. But come on, do better. Yeah. So, you know, uh, and I made the very rash and stupid prediction that Australia's next major champion might be over Smiley.
0: Is it that rash or stupid?
2: Well, I don't know that it's not. No, I don't think it is. It's probably but, it's, Lee. but 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 it's a very dangerous you know, oh, to, thing to but, make and you know you don't want to be putting oh they put too much pressure on that kid and see, he wasn't that good after all and that may all be true but you know when you look at I you know, Mickelson I think predicted that John Ram would be a top ten player within a year of him making the prediction and he was still an amateur at the time. Yeah. So we wonder whether you know, I it, think we're on that you know,
0: if Elvis is good enough, like all who are good enough, and you know, for what it's worth, I think he is. That I don't know as much about the game as you do. If he is, none of that'll bother him. That the, no, the ones, right, the that's ones that's who are good enough right. un, uh, have always been anointed. Spieth had it, Woods had it, Nicholas had it. They've all had, it. had it, and Heavy they've all it. they've all exceeded expectations or you know matched them. So, if you really do have it, those things don't don't have any impact on you either way. It would seem. Um,
2: to me. So now, the first time I saw Greg play was at Ride Parramatta in 1974 in the junior series. And, uh, you know, I was 16. I didn't know anything, but I watched him play two holes and it's like, this guy's going to be a star. Yeah. You know, hmm. you know it, it was unimaginable that his dad thought it was a bad idea that he was going to turn pro. <laughs> like, hey, Merv, go watch him play. This guy's really good.
0: They probably still argue about it, you know. His <laughs> yeah. dad probably still thinks he had a point. And in, in some yeah. ways, he may, he may well. So I just realized you can't sort of see Log there. Uh, yeah, look, it is obviously dangerous to most people. And that, the, the list of can't miss kids is long. It's really long. And it's a it's a silly game to play. But I don't necessarily disagree with you. Hmm. Elvis looks – the last time we saw a player that sort of looked like Elvis was, I think, Jason Day. Hmm.
1: And to be yeah. that, that group of Australians we just mentioned, Jason Day, did make it. No, no doubt. Oh, like the oh, long so, stint yeah. as world well, number, number one. one. He, like dominant for a mm. period there, um, but you know it's, it gets back to that Harrington thing of like everyone gets eighteen months. Their eighteen month window. Scotty interestingly has Did you call extended. Him yeah, Don't do that. <laughs> he's interesting. He's extended that a fair bit. Like he had his eighteen months when he was world number one and he was contending in a lot of majors, but and he, he's got some inner reserve that you know he still wants more. And he's trying his best, but, I, you know. He just- he's in that next tier, don't you? What did you yeah. think
0: about Harrington's 18-month comment? Did you hear that on the McKellar Journal? I thought it was a fascinating theory. That
2: I did, but, you know, I don't. I mean, some players get 18 yes. months, but Nicholas didn't get 18 months, no. and Trevino didn't get 18 months, and Faldo yep. didn't, and yep. Greg didn't, and, and and Louis hasn't. I mean, Louis's had 11 years. He won yep. The, yep. the the Open 2010. So you might get 18 months of really hot golf, but that's not – the only window you have to play well. No. The I great, feel like great
1: a, ones can extend it.
0: I think there's a next tier, which, which I think Adam and Louis and some of those players are in that you, you've sort of mentioned there, where they have stretches of 12 or 18 months where they're right there. Then they maybe go off the boil a bit and finish top 20 for a year or two. Then they have another period, and, and I think Adam's probably probably in that well, tier of player.
2: I mean, I think Finchie had 18 months or two years, and yeah. Grades had 18 months or yeah. two years. I mean, Grades won Westchester, lost the Open, won the PGA. Yep. And at some point, you wonder whether – for guys like that, winning the major is the ultimate destination, and once they win it, that's the end of it.
0: Where's to go? Where's to go?
2: Yeah. It, uh, it, but you know, but they weren't – I mean, Graves wasn't Louie. No.
0: And it's not it's a knock-on. It's not no, a no. knock-on, those players. I mean, how many of us actually achieve a life's dream? I have no idea what would happen if I ever achieved a life's dream because A, I'd have to have one, and B, I'd have to achieve. Yeah, it. Both gonna, of those it's things seem unlikely now, at right? this late yeah. stage. So it <laughs> yeah. so makes I wonder what role that's played with Jason as well. Because talent doesn't go away. We know that, Clayton. If you've got that, and he's clearly got the talent. He's He's a particularly good player. But motivation, once you've made all the money, there can only be one motivation, and that's that desire to win. And if you were in it, and I think Jason's admitted this, growing up with not a lot of money, like a lot of golfers before him, money was a major motivation. He's made bucket loads of money. What's left now to play for? And if you don't get that desire to just win the trophies, what does happen to your golf?
2: I don't know. I mean you look at the great players, they had they were motivated by much more than money. Of course. Well, you know, well, Nick Byron Elkins. Yeah. Why he was yeah, he was motivated by the money to buy a farm and once he bought the farm he was out. That's it. So perhaps perhaps that's perhaps that's Jason. Perhaps he's got what he wants and he's mm-hmm. happy to And you can't put your own expectations on someone else. No.
1: Yeah. They don't owe yeah, the golf know. world anything, no. do they? Even no, anything. Anyway, you know, I have to keep playing golf because people expect me to. Yeah.
0: You've been
2: close no, to Australia. The
0: Can you remind people what it actually takes to get there? <laughs> the, like it doesn't seem like you make 30 or 40 or 50 million bucks in the space of five years it doesn't seem like there's been much in the way of sacrifice, but it's it's not as simple as it looks from the outside, is it? You really have to give your life over to to try and achieve that.
2: Well, from when you're 12 years old, really, when I, when I look back and, you know, it wasn't work at all, I loved it, but, you know, you look at the – thousands and thousands of hours you put into mm-hmm. to get to be where you were decent. And and, and everyone who's any good put in all those hours. I mean, it's just like going to university. Yeah. You, know, you just go there and you, you study for 12 hours a day and you work as hard as you can and you practice as much as you can and, the lament, what, you know. The
0: lament of us recreational players, I don't have time to practice, is actually not true, is it? You choose to do other things with your time. Time is just a yeah, choice. One- that's the truth. Yeah,
2: everyone's got. Yeah, everyone's got time to practice if they. Want if to that's find what time. they choose
0: to do, it. that's right. Instead of going out with the family or doing that on a Sunday or doing that on a Friday night, you could go and practice. That's what you could do, but you choose not to.
1: In lockdown, you could go play. You could hit practice, balls on the beach. You could practice your grip. Yeah.
0: What did you say at the start of lockdown? Nobody's got any excuse to emerge from lockdown with a bad grip because all you can sit inside all day.
2: <laughs> yeah, and no, no, that's your true. Grip. Yeah, I still see plenty of bad grips.
0: So. <laughs> oh dear. No doubt you do, no doubt you do. What do you think about the US Open? John And I know she had some, there was some interesting discussion about people are bored with it now. Do you need a great course to have a great tournament and all of that stuff that's yeah. wrapped up in all of that. They're two totally distinct things, aren't they? The competition and the grounds upon which it is played.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was the farcical argument of that was that Look at this! This is a great tournament. How can you criticise the golf course? Well, I've seen great tournaments at Kronos this year in, in Switzerland, which was the one of the, which is possibly the worst, the poorest course, or the least good course I've ever played in. Maybe pro golf. one of the best names ever, though. Can you... Yeah, very cool. Name. Two dashes, <laughs> and you know the the last hole is a side hill driver wedge par four with a stupid pond at the front of the green, but it was the side of arguably the greatest shot ever hit. By, by Seve from behind the wall. Yeah. Mm. So just because it's a lousy hole doesn't mean it can't produce a great shot. And just because Tory Pines is a Doke five doesn't mean you can't have a great championship there mm. yeah. because it's difficult and it's narrow and you've got the best players in the world there. So, you know, w- was Oakland Hills a bad course because Steve Jones and Andy North won there? One of the best courses in America. It's a, it's a Doke nine versus Tory Pines is a Doke five. So – you know, it's a ludicrous argument to suggest that, look, it must be a good course because it's got a great leaderboard and, and and Tiger and Ram won there. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, Bell, Bell Reeve champions, the US Women's Open last year. I'm reminded time. of... What Adam Scott said, I thought, quite succinctly after the
0: Olympics when someone put it to him, because quite a few of the players, Rory was one and Speeth was another, sort of expressing lament and regret that they hadn't played the Olympics when they should have and they had the chance and in hindsight they had the chance to do it again. And somebody asked Adam about that and he said, you know, it was a fantastic tournament. It was Stenson and Rose coming down the mm. end there and the women's tournament was a fantastic finish as well. And Adam just said, "Well, what did you expect? They're the best players in the world. Of course, it's going to be a good tournament. Mm. You know, <laughs> you take all the best players in the world, put them on a nine-hole municipal track in the middle of Sydney. You're going to get an interesting and compelling competition because they're the best players in the world. So it's not the course that dictates whether you get a good no. competition; it's the yeah. players. Yeah. I mean, there's an awful lot of non-compelling golf played around Torrey Pines the other 360 odd days of the year when the U.S. Open and mm-hmm. the the people the what's the tournament they played there? The Farmers Insurance aren't played at Torrey Pines. Lots of uninspired play."
2: And the USJ want to go to Southern California because the weather's great and it's a big market. And mm. but once they go to LA Country Club, a, a golf club that's conspicuously denied the USJ any access for their Open forever, finally a group of young members got in control and said, "Yeah, we want the Open." I think it's going there in 22 or 23. I mean, that'll you know, it's a fantastic course. Mm. So that will become the the course of Southern California, I would, I would assume, over ever going back to Torrey Pines again. The only argument for going back to Torrey Pines is, well, we saw the two of the greatest putts in golf history hold there, which, well, you know, yeah, coincidence.
0: And it's public. And it's public, and there's something about that which the USGA, to their credit, have taken that on board. It doesn't seem they're coming – the venues that we know about
1: coming up are not in that public realm. I hope that experiment hasn't finished. Of course, the, the shame of Torrey Pines and being public – is that they've missed an even greater opportunity to show what yeah. public golf should look like Absolutely. in twenty years' time yeah. by allowing the setup there to be what it is, yeah. with the watering the rough and all that sort of thing. Which
0: we'll come yeah. to all of that in a moment. What I really wanted to come, I'll start with you actually on this one. All is right. it not? Then it, the question then becomes: Is does it matter where you play the most important championship? Why should we bother getting upset about it? The U.S. Open being played at Tory Pines, which those with an interest in architecture almost universally agree is a less than inspiring golf course. Why does it matter if the competition is going to be good? What's the importance of architecture more broadly? Oh, I, I guess is the
1: question. I don't care week to week on the PGA Tour, but I, which I is do lucky. care when <laughs> I do care when the governing body is selecting a tournament because you get a non-golf audience coming for things like the U.S. Open. So I think it's important for golf to put on. A show for a non-golf audience, or at least have they did that some awareness. If you weren't a golfer, you would have watched that finish yesterday or Sunday, and thought, "Oh, that's just fabulous." It's the missed opportunity, though, of, and also there will be a percentage of that non-golf audience who just point at the screen and go, "Look, look at what bloody golf looks like!" Like they're you know this ridiculous lush green thing just for a, a few people. But again, that's the course cool setup. Uh, so why is architecture uh, important The mistops, The challenges? mistops architecture? Mm, yeah, I mean, it, it's all things being equal. You want to Maybe it's play not. on good architecture. No, it's important. All things being equal, you know, it adds something to have good architecture. Yeah. Clates, what do you
0: reckon? Why is it important that we play on... Is the game worse off if the Open never goes back to the old course?
2: Yeah, of course it is. Because, it, I mean, good architecture makes the game more interesting. So we watched Tiger... I've watched Tiger play inside the ropes because I had a privilege of a press pass at Bethpage, 2002. Hoylake, the last two rounds in 2006 and Royal Melbourne at the President's Cup. And Bethpage is a pretty good course at eight probably. Hoylake, same. Which is Royal good. Melbourne. So, watching Tiger play on incredible golf courses like that just makes it better. Watching Seve play at Royal Melbourne was better than watching Seve play at Cron yeah, because it asked more of his game and, and it gave him a chance to show off more of the great shots he could hit so great architecture gives the greatest players more of a chance to show off why they're better yeah. we, 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 which, which doesn't mean John Rahm I mean he showed us why he was great on the 18th hole I mean he had a great drive down a narrow fairway beautiful four on that got a dodgy bounce into the bunker played a really smart bunker shot and then made one of the greatest putts in history so but it's a lousy hole. Yeah. But it didn't, pre- you know, if you compared that hole to the 13th of Augusta with all the nuance that that hole has, the, the side hill lie, the better angle for, you know, the, the flat lie, the better angle from closer to the creek, the diagonal nature of the creek. If you push it for a right handed player, if you hit a weak push to the right, you're never going to carry the creek. Pull it left, you're over the back in the swale. There's none of that at Torrey Pines mm. on, on the 18th hole. But again, it doesn't. Two, two of the greatest holes ever played at the US Open were Tiger and Ram playing that last hole. And of course, the other thing that I thought was comical was that Hazing it going on. Now, th- this is the easiest hole. Well, if you changed the number on the scorecard uh, and <laughs> call called yeah. it a par four, this is the hardest hole yeah. we've ever oh played Well, it can't be the same thing. No. You know, like so many of the great holes in the, in the golf world, it's a four and a half par. Yeah. Yeah. Calling it a par five is ludicrous when the holes are driving a five iron. Yep. So, so it's cl- it's clearly not a par five, no. and it's clearly not the hardest hole, but it was the hardest hole on the course to make a four. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it seems to me, close that the architecture and the competition. I agree with everything you've said there. I think you've encapsulated it nicely. I'm not I'm not into music particularly, but I imagine a truly great musician can pick up a very ordinary instrument and play good music on it. But give that great musician a great instrument, they make extraordinary music, and that feels to me like. Tiger at Kingston Heath in 09 was just an extraordinary display to watch when he came and played the Australian Masters down there because yeah. of that combination, it felt to me, of the course. And Tiger, as you were saying, at Bethpage and at Hoylake at the old course, and to watch these players play on the, the courses and at Royal Melbourne and President's Cup in 12, I've never seen anything like that. It was a privilege to be there and witness that, him play that course.
2: Yeah. So here's a question. Um, if... Tiger had played all his golf on courses that were doke eights, nines, and tens, and the ball and the driver had never changed from 2000. How many majors did he win? Wow. He wins 25 awesome. at least. At- mm. <laughs>
0: 25. <laughs> <laughs> Although look at where he's won. I mean, how many times did he won at Firestone, Bay Hill? Yeah, seven, eight times yeah. at each well,
2: one. So. But, but Tiger won everywhere because right. he was the, exactly. he was so much better than everyone else. Yeah. And you know this notion that the players are so much better now than they were 20 years ago, well, no one's since has played better golf than Tiger played in 2000. Mm. To
0: be honest, if they weren't better as a collective, then there's been a whole bunch of research done for not much result because <laughs> <laughs> what they've got at their fingertips in terms of equipment and information just about the human body, let alone everything else in terms of the equipment, if they weren't better, then something would be drastically wrong,
2: wouldn't it? Yeah, but ultimately when the pressure gets ramped way up on a course as difficult as Torrey Pines they all get exposed because it makes them look pretty ordinary at times yeah.
0: which brings us neatly to Bryson DeChambeau mm. a lot of people think he just gave up he, after the tee shot on the 13th that was it
2: well he got a bunch of unlucky breaks didn't he wasn't that his take on the whole thing <laughs> possibly which, which was
1: which he didn't take very well did he Clates? which is no, shocking I mean like,
2: you know, I, I think there's a lot of good stuff in what Scott Fawcett does the decade stuff where he, he you know he's rise the golf course standard where you should aim and where you shouldn't aim and and just as Wingfoot didn't prove last week it was the only way to play, Bryson's play on the back nine on Sunday didn't disprove it was a bad idea. But you can't just slash away on a hole like thirteen not even trying to hit the fairway as far as I could tell. Just trying to hit it as far as you can. Get a terrible lie in the rough and then not get it out of the rough and make seven. You can't then complain about a bad break on the golf course because you weren't trying hard enough to hit the fairway. You now, Lee Trevino would have stood there, or, and, or, or Jack Nicklaus, would have stood there and hit the ball on that fairway.
1: And, yeah, not necessarily slipped on the tee, but, or, you know, even if the Bryce tee was slippy.
2: Bryce is not even trying to hit it, as mm. far as I can tell. He's trying to hit it as far down as he can, taking your punt on missing it on the right side and, and getting a good enough light to gouge it out and make a four or five. Well, you make seven. Well, that's you know your fault for not even making it not not making a serious attempt at hitting the fairway. You just try and hit the ball as far as you can.
0: Just on that decade and Scott Force, which you've taken a lot more interest in to me because you can actually play and I can't, so it makes no real difference to me. Any of that sort of stuff. Does it what does it miss? Every theory system, be it our thoughts about great architecture and angles and all that stuff that his his theory sort of dismisses. All of those, they miss something, don't they? What's the decade system miss? It feels to me like what it can't account for is exactly what we saw with DeChambeau, which is partly the human element. And once the theory isn't playing as it was expected to, then how does the human respond? And that'll be different for obviously for each person. But that's what it feel that that that's, that system, for want of a better term, has to miss something, doesn't it?
2: Well. You know, he, he will argue not. because but, you know, I, And because the ball goes so far and because mm-hmm. the greens are relatively soft-ish most weeks compared to Raw Melbourne, then it doesn't really matter what side of the fairway you're on. It doesn't really matter if you've got, in theory, a better angle because you're lofting nine-lines and wedges up over bunkers and stopping them without much trouble. So why would you really try and hit the ball down the left half of a 30-yard wide fairway when... Just hit it as far down as you can, and if you're if you're in the rough, try and miss it on the on the correct side of the hole. Mm. So mathematically it makes some sense on average golf courses. For aerial
0: but, golf, which is the modern aerial form of the very aerial
2: yeah. form of the game. You know, if the ball went forty yards shorter, i.e. it went the distance it went forty years ago, there's much more of an emphasis on trying to avoid playing out of the rough because You can't gouge it out of the rough with a five-iron or a six-iron as effectively as you can gouge it out of the rough with a wedge or a nine-iron. So Bryson's effort, it was a masterclass at wing foot in implementing the decade system and driving the ball as far down the hole as you can, driving it well, because no one can hit 25-yard fairways 320 yards away. No one's that good to regularly hit fairways at more than 50%. So try and miss it on the side of the hole that gives you a decent play at the flag.
0: Or the green. Yeah. Speaking of distance, forget about Bryson and everything that he's done. Lots of attention, obviously, and he enjoys that limelight. We know that. This kid, Wilco by he's just a freak, is he not, Clates? Looks like a spaghetti noodle well, and averages 350 yards off the tee. Averages 350 yards. I saw some.
1: Does it effortlessly,
0: too. Oh, just extraordinary. The, 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 so yeah. you, we've had a peek into the next generation, haven't we? And it's not Bryson.
2: Well, yeah, I mean. People point say, "Well, he finished last, or well, he was last up the tree." days. I don't know where he finished in the end, but yeah. But you know, I've said it many times: the, the freak in one generation is always the norm in the next. Yeah, yeah, but, so in 20 years' time, everyone's got every kid is going to be hitting it that far.
0: Wilco 2.0 will know how to chip and putt, won't he? <laughs>
1: that's yeah. that's the only real difference. Some, day, somebody's going to come along who can chip yeah. and putt
2: as well. Yeah. Yeah. And Wilco might figure it out too. But you know, at some point, they're going to have to put an end to it into it. Because there is no end to how far the ball's going to go. You, you'll get a 6 foot 10 Michael Jordan come out one day with a I was just reading an article about this new Korean super shaft that guarantees 15 extra mm. yards that costs 750 bucks. But at some point you put that shaft in a 2040 version of Michael Jordan, it's going 400 yards. So, so at what point does the golf course become a completely pointless part of the game?
0: We sniggered a little bit at Gary Player when he said the same thing 10 or 15 years ago, but it certainly is coming true. What if they don't do something, like We on the side of, uh, I tend to be bifurcation, but this notion of rolling back the ball, that it's not healthy for the game to continue this pursuit of distance as the, the sole uh, determinant of success in golf. That's where we sort of have been for the last 20 years, and it's always been a part of golf. We never had the technology to to ramp it up to where we are now. What happens if they don't do something, Clates? We get accused of chicken little skies falling in. What happens if they don't do anything?
2: Well, golf becomes a succession of driver and wedge par fours and driver and five-iron par fives. So, you know, arguably the most exciting hole was last week was the 18th hole, which was a par four and a half. And how great was it to see John Rahm have to drive in a four-iron to a green? As opposed
0: to drives
2: w- and wedges and nine-ines.
0: Which would have been in the 80s and 90s considered a strong US Open par four finishing hole, wouldn't it? A driver and a four-iron would have been a... That's what they would have looked for yeah. in a finishing hole for yeah. a US Open. Yeah. they have to hit a driver and a four-iron. And hazing it would have been. Yeah. Uh, all over that. What do you reckon, Luke? What if they don't do anything about it? There are two options. You do something about equipment or you don't. There's two very distinct camps, like everything in this modern era. It's binary. You're either with us or against us, it seems to be the way. So we say on this side of it that we should do something about it.
1: What happens if they don't? Well, most of golf's not affected if they don't. Um, it's, It's really, we're mostly talking about professional golf well, elite. so I assume that's what the uh, elite, called, elite, elite amateurs and professionals. Ian Andrew would disagree with you, by the way. He'd well, yeah, I, 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 I get that. There's, let, you know, that boundary thing. issues. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Look, that's a problem. Um, that said, it's still not the majority of golfers. Uh, if you have to architect around boundary issues, then that does affect everyone, I guess. So that that aside, uh, I, I just think professional golf will get more boring. It'll it'll inch by inch get to that. Thing that I think they are actually, their ambition is to make it look like a video game, um, where it's all about where it lands and all of that sort of stuff. And it's not, it's not. There's no interest with the ball on the ground. The courses will get softer. They'll they'll get longer. Um, it'll we just, won't be interested. It'll just be more. It'll be the TPC. We won't be interested. But we are. Are tour. we the
0: arbiters of
1: what's interesting? Uh, no doubt there'll be an audience that, that enjoys that. Um, but, yeah. That, I mean, I'll forever be sad that something's been lost from golf if
0: what you're suggesting does actually come to
1: pass, and we're yeah. certainly on that. I path. mean, even at Tory Pines, there was some pretty interesting stuff when the Greens got firm on day four. The, the Greens were really firm on day four, and that required some skill. That, that really sorted people out. Um, it was yeah, a shame t- that when well, the ball ran ba- through... It was
0: bouncing through in... Six, six or seven feet off the green before it stopped in the long or rough,
1: a foot or two. Um, you know, so they didn't quite get that right, but they did get the green firmness right, and that made a huge difference. Um, it meant angles mattered, and the the pond on eighteen is an interesting one as well. Where
0: it, I don't think anybody's ever said that before.
1: Well, it, well, I think Clayton's made the point on Twitter that it dictates play, even if you don't go in it. Except for Richard Bland, who went in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, uh, I'm always always fascinated by hazards like that where barely anybody goes in them. But the Valley of Sin on, but they determine the everything. Vehicle. Yeah, I yeah. uh, yeah. There's a terrible yeah. example, but the 15th at Metro at Clates's uh, home course. is that big fairway bunker on the left, which I, I don't. Good players, I don't think, would go in it very often. But you go right, and the the shot, the approach into the 15th at Metropolitans diabolical from the right, much longer and much much more difficult angle.
0: 15 of Victoria is a short par four. It's got the same kind of thing, hasn't it, Clades? In
1: fact, I remember you telling us
0: once on State of the Game you'd played at Victoria that morning and what did you say? <laughs> you stand at the tee and you know that the only thing you can't do in this hole is hit it in the bunker on the left. So you take a three-iron and you hit it in the bunker on the left yeah. every single time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're actually good examples of bunkers that that control everything but you don't go in very often because you do everything you can to avoid it. Yeah. Yeah. and I mean that that bunker at fifteen at Metro. I go in that bunker every second week. But <laughs> I, um, I did say, yeah, good players don't good, go into it. Yeah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but it's a rip. There's that the, the bunker at the tenth at Royal Melbourne, the short par four up around the corner. Yeah. Uh, it's another great. I mean, lots of club members go in there, but it's a great example of a bunker that pros hardly ever go in, but it controls everything you do on that hole. Yeah,
1: yeah. 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 The, the pond on eighteen at the Australian. You know, like it. it the way Bob Shearer approached that whole, you know, coming down for his win there, yeah, it, was, it was all about the pond and, you know, what do you do? And that's why you have so many players go over the back there and then <laughs> the you have to chip back. The Marshall told him the way
0: up. <laughs> the Marshall was standing, I don't know if you've ever heard this, Clayton. Bob Shearer told us this on the thing about, oh, I and mean the Marshall, who plays 27 at the Australian, I oh, mean, you just want to take a nine, right, ended it up to the left there. Bob's looking at him like, mate, you do realise who I am and where we are, do you not? <laughs> Took the yeah. three on and ripped it across the water.
2: So, so moving on a touch, the players were led by Rory, were all, very, as, as, the, as the shotgun pod guys call him, the Prince and of we um, were very quick to ban the green reading books yesterday because no one's getting paid to use green reading books. Hmm. So the guy who puts the green reading books out doesn't have any influence over what tour players do and they, they banned him in a shot. But of course, even if the players wanted to go to the manufacturer and say, we want the ball rolled back. They're never going to do that because the manufacturers pay them and own them.
0: Which is, yeah. brings us neatly back to the notion that for the good of the game more broadly, I believe, lots don't believe it, don't agree, but I believe bifurcation is the only way forward to maintain the interest in the, level of, in the game at the top level and some of the issues we've just discussed and not diminish interest at the recreational level that's the only real solution: is that you adjust the
1: equipment for the increase in in ability and technique, uh, my, and up the changing go. With with the ball and bifurcation, here's, here's my contribution to this debate. I really feel like the ball needs to be visibly different; like it needs to be bigger or something. color? No, colors doesn't different, cut it. Like no, you can no cheat colour. with color. Like it, I think it's got to be bigger. The the pro ball needs to be. Like and it needs the hole stays the same size? Yeah. It needs to be visibly bigger. I'm talking just <laughs> a little Cla- bit. Even Clates flinch. I'm just talking a little bit. So if you hold two balls against each other, you know, oh that's or you put it through a ring or something like that, yeah. you know that's the pro ball and that's the amateur ball. Like it's you got to be visibly seeing to be doing to be playing the right equipment.
0: I don't often disagree with you. I'm not sure that that's as important as you <laughs> as you're making it out, what? I
2: don't know, but that's not the either. What are you problem. saying? players would cheat and use the, use the wrong ball or?
0: Like they used to Clates when you used to hit off with one ball and then the next hole you'd hit off with a different ball in European tour before the one ball rule in professional golf. Isn't that what they did? Hard ball into the wind, spinny ball down wind. Yeah.
2: That? Yeah. That, well, that, that wasn't, that was part of the rules. I mean, you could do that then, but.
0: You knew uh, in your heart that you were doing the wrong thing, but you did it anyway, didn't you? All of you. <laughs> like deep, that backboard at the ANA a few years ago. They all knew in their hearts it was the wrong thing to do and they all took a three
1: wood and, and whipped it straight into it. Yeah, a bag full of DDHs, didn't you? Plates for, like, <laughs> yeah, narrow... And,
2: and, and, a, and a top flight into the... Winter. Well, <laughs> f- funny story. Um, I was a Spalding player, and I played a hot dot, which was a decent, wound, surlyn S- ball. And I played with David Graham at the, Victoria, at the Australian Open in 1981, and we, I played well that day. I played with him, and he walked off the last green. He said, you played well today. He said, but if you want to be a good player, you're going to have to start using a proper golf ball. So, I immediately switched to a tightlist, which was a proper golf ball. Ballada cover, you could spin it. And uh, I teed off the last day at the Victorian Open a couple of months later. Uh, two or three off the lead, not expecting to win with a hot dot on the first hole. Switched to a tightlist on the second hole. Played the front line with a tightlist and went out four under. And the boss of Spalding, Jack May, who was a lovely bloke, tennis player, great guy came to watch me tee off the 10th. So I sa- sa- said to my caddy, quickly, throw me a hot dot. <laughs> so I played the 10th hole with a hot dot and bounced it over the back of the green and got up and down for a four and then switched back to a tightest on the 11th and played in with a tightness. So-, so that was how silly it was. Wow. Are you but saying, of course-
0: Clades, that as a professional you adjusted to a different ball? I'm fairly certain <laughs> oh, i mean, this is impossible. That's <laughs>
2: impossible. But, of course, um, I forgot what I was going to say. I lost my train <laughs> Well, yeah. What they've done essentially in the in the period since then, well, it took them from that was 1982. So in 2000, they figured out how to combine the playing characteristics of both those balls into one ball. Yeah, that's right. The ball that would go through the air would go as far as it you know could possibly go, but it would spin and stop. Yeah.
0: Hot, so dot, that, hot dot with the driver and a and a ballada with the wedge.
2: Yeah. So so that they, 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 they essentially rolled a hot dot and a Titleist, pro, pro-trades titlist into one yep. one ball. Yeah, indeed, which, as we know, in
0: the hands of the really good players can do uh, some quite sort of extraordinary things.
2: Which, which, given they'd figured out 20, 15, 15 years earlier how to put a man on the moon, that, <laughs> probably was, that probably wasn't that complicated a thing to work out.
0: Well, it's funny you should say that, clates because there was a correlation between the dip in spending on NASA and space exploration in the U.S., and the move in technology in golf, an awful yeah. lot of rocket scientists, for want of a better term, came to golf because it's ballistics yeah. and aerodynamics and a whole bunch of other stuff. They came to golf in both clubs and and balls.
2: And as Jeff Shucker would point it out, in the uh, in the three hours between when they arrived at nine o'clock in the morning and went to lunch at twelve o'clock, they'd figured it out. Yeah, yeah. Good. So it just took some, you know, so so it literally took. Rocket right. scientists to figure out. Well, we can work that out. That's the, simple. The right knowledge. It's just that's basic experiment. aerodynamics and
0: it's ballistics. Really, isn't you it? Know. You send it off on that trajectory, and it holds, and it goes in air. So it's a, it's an amazing thing. The golf ball. It really, mm-hmm. as, a, as a scientific example of what humans can do.
1: The golf ball's an extraordinary mm-hmm. <laughs> invention. And, and look, the evolution of it with like oh these these when this gutty gets scuffed yeah. up a bit, it goes It stays in the I air longer like and goes
0: you know, further. And yeah, yeah, it's better on the greens and all sorts of, uh, sorts of interesting stuff, which brings us neatly to, Clates. Uh, that was the US Open. So smack for the Australian players. Congratulations to John Rahm. Thumbs
1: down for Tory Pines. I think that's the fairly... Yeah. That's how you do U- it on Twitter, USGA, isn't it? USGA Ruff, are we going to... Sorry? Get, are we going to talk, okay, talk about the USGA and Ruff? Okay,
0: talk about the you USGA and can You can take this one.
1: Well, I mean, everyone's going to be... Disappointed to hear this from me again, but <laughs> terms and conditions. But we've got Clates here, so I, I, I'm looking for a little bit of support from Clates. The yeah, I, first of all, everyone's got to accept my terms <laughs> and conditions going into this. That this all of the volunteers, That's right. the volunteers and the green staff did a tremendous job. Yes, it's yes, a it's a remarkable achievement to uh, have this manicured turf from you know edge to edge of a property like mm. uh, like Torrey Pines. The opportunity, I think, that was missed for golf, and and the the point that a lot of people miss I think in when I'm trying to make this case is that it's not about playability or any of that stuff it's not like what about golf what sort of yeah it's not about the golf aspects of mm-hmm. what rough does I'm all for rough like I you know it's it's a part of the game I, I like you know very penal I've Ruff. seen you in it you, you really <laughs> seem to it's, enjoy it I I, don't, I think it's overplayed in terms of mowing lines at a place like Torrey Pines but rough has a place in golf mm-hmm. very much um and more severe rough than what we saw at Tory Pines. Like that's, you know, this manicured stuff is is um, uh, not necessarily as severe as what you get with wild rough, uh, with ticks and things like that no, when it's no, up to your knees. You know,
0: like. nor, enough, nor as lenient. The best rough is that 50-50 rough that you find in Scotland. You ball right. could be sitting absolutely fantastic or it could be two and a half feet up in a bush somewhere.
1: Well, I'm going to have a little diversion because just in – with the Kaikuyu at Torrey Pines, you did get a bit of that variability, and I'm going to give Kaikuyu a bit of a wrap because uh, it's just this grass. It's much maligned, especially here in Sydney, but I, I I do feel like it's kind of a miracle grass. Like if you said, oh, we've got this grass. It grows like a weed. It stays green in winter. It if you if you treat it right with like uh, growth retardants and things, then it can be a great. Fairway playing surface, fabulous grass to hit off because the ball sits up. If you let it, if you let it grow a little bit, it's a very penal rough. Like I've just described, Kaikuyu There, it seems like a miracle grass for mm-hmm. a climate like San Diego or like Sydney, mm-hmm. um, that sort of temperate climate. Uh, it's it's you know very good choice, I think. Um, so you know, and, and it. Tory Pines, it gave this variability in the rough, which I thought was quite good. It also burns out a little bit very quickly. Like, it, it browns off a little bit in spots. It's patchy. And I thought that created an infinitely better look at Tory Pines than what you had at Windfoot. Oh, the groom. Where it's just uniformly green. Drive the cart through it and it's now ruined. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they wouldn't even try raking and blow-drying that rough at Tory Pines because it's pointless. Like, it's also variable. Fluffing up the And you had a little bit of power and stuff mixed in there. Anyway, that's that's a little side rant there. Um, uh, But the question is, should there be Kaikuyu, like, boundary to boundary anyway in that place? When you had down in the canyons, you had this beautiful native scrubby stuff, like coastal, some indigenous coastal scrub, which if they brought that up onto the course and put it in between the holes, far enough offline that it's there to penalise really wide shots, like on the right of 14 where Bryson kept hitting it right. Yeah, you know, the the way that golf course should be presented is with the great playing surfaces that it already has, a little bit of rough, and then if you're way offline... Native vegetation. That native vegetation. The and for, as far as golf's concerned and presenting golf on the, its biggest stage run by the governing body on a public course, if that was what was presented, mm-hmm. then I think people would have been a lot more engaged with it. Like mm-hmm. you have that beautiful contrast in colour and texture that you get with more variable uh, flora. Yeah. So, anyway, was- Clayton, put on your
0: player's hat first and talk about some of the stuff that Logue's been talking about there and then put on your architect's hat. The role of rough, what that rough should consist of. Uh, I think about Pinehurst seven years ago and what Corrin Crenshaw did there with the restoration, the water that they saved and what that dished up as off fairway areas compared to what we saw at the weekend. Both as a player, as, a, as an architect and golf in the bigger scheme of things what we need
2: to think about. Well I'm a great opponent of long, thick green grass. That's the worst type of rough, which is what they favor often at the US Open. Because you're just slashing the ball out of long, thick green grass, which penalising, but it doesn't take any skill to play from it, really. It takes strength.
0: But you can't separate yourself, I think- can you? Je- Jeff Ogilvy, you and I are all in the same position if we're in that rough, yeah. aren't we? Yes. Yeah. Really.
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, Nicholas was great out of it. Bryson hit one amazing shot out of the yep. rough on mm-hmm. one hole. He, he yep. gouged that five-line out to the front of the green. Yeah. So th- there's a huge benefit for great strength that Nicholas had. But uh, the, the British have the best roughs. I mean, and talk about penal rough. There's no more penal rough than Heather. Mm. So you missed a fairway at Walton Heath. It's like playing out of barbed wire. Yeah. But it's a beautiful-looking rough. It adds so much to the texture and feel and look of the golf course.
1: It belongs, doesn't it? And 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 it's an indigenous ground cover.
2: Yeah. So, the the sand belts have some good heathland roughs. Um, They've got wispy kind of flyer roughs, which are also great because you never quite know what the ball's going to do. So, I like unpredictable indigenous wispy um, rough off fairway areas. So, you know, people bitch about the, the sandy wastelands, you know, right at the second and third at the lakes. But... They forget that you used to be in the middle of the trees when you're in there. Mm. So you can get a good lie or a bad lie, and they think it's unfair that if you're finishing a footprint, well, yeah, sure. You can get a good lie or a bad lie in there. Deal with it. That's part of the the mental challenge of the game is dealing with its inherent unfairness. So whilst people talk about – we're talking about roughs, I prefer to talk about off-fairway areas and how the best courses manage the off-fairway areas – much more interestingly than just having narrow fairways bordered by long grass, mm. long green grass, which is what Mackenzie was railing against a hundred years ago. Mm.
0: No, what did he say? Nothing thing more boring than searching
2: for golf balls. Yeah, he hated yeah. people looking for people won't. You know, people hate playing. Hate people hate looking for golf balls. They won't put up with the annoyance of looking for lost balls. That's yeah, a dumb way. That's true.
0: To spend time. Yeah. So, so I wrote a column on Monday for Golf Australia's website, Golf Australia Magazine's website, not Golf Australia, the the governing body. Uh, pointing out my ire at seeing the photo that you'd retweeted from Twitter, or the little video you'd retweeted, uh, with Adrian, of rough. the yeah. of the sprinklers just yeah, pointing I, into in
1: my the little run. rant earlier. I didn't even get onto yeah. like what it looks like with golf using so the water. optics. So,
0: so, and as I was pointed out to me by a couple of people, so the water at re, at Torrey Pines is recycled, but I don't think it changes my broader point. I accept that, and I don't pretend that I knew that. I never thought they were pouring drinking water on the rough. Just to be clear, but no matter where the water comes from, the question is, and this is the question I'd probably put clumsily, I think, in the column, is that the best use of water, any water, to water long, thick grass off the edge of golf course, fairways? Uh, And how does that look to the rest of the world? So the golf discussion about that, after that, little video went up, was all about the playability issues, as you were doing, the internal golf discussion. Which is missing the point. Rough as a strategy and how it All the discussions we just had about golf and playability, which are interesting if you're into golf. But more broadly, people who, when the US Open is on and the USGA is staging the US Open, people around the world who have otherwise virtually no interest in golf, they see it. It's one of the few golf events that will turn up on the nightly news. It would have been on the nightly news in Italy this past week because Guido Migliozzi played well. You'd almost never see golf on the nightly news in Italy, I would assume, except perhaps the Ryder Cup when Francesco won the Open, if one of their players is doing it. It's similar to what we have in Australia now, sadly. <laughs> you only see it if uh, if there's. So all of those people who sit down and watch the nightly news who otherwise have no interest in it, that's what they see. That's what they see is golf pouring water on long, thick green grass next to the fairways to make the game a little bit more difficult for a bunch of pampered millionaires.
1: Yeah. And it's a shocking look for the game. I don't care if they've got a source of water there because the golf clubs in Australia have this same situation. It, it's California where water's mm. an issue. <laughs> Daily. Um, and the same in Sydney, water's an issue. And Australians, I think, are generally better than most of the world in managing water, um, you know, in terms of just our infrastructure set up a little bit better for it because we're used to drought conditions here. Uh, but that said, and, and so golf courses actually are, uh, always actively – there's a water committee on most golf courses in Sydney, for example. Got a and they're, committee. They're actively trying to secure their source of water for years to come. And so they'll bring in RO plants and you know, build dams and make deals with councils and things like that. And all of those things can be good things, but you know, for the future of the playing surfaces at the club – but once you've secured that water, you've still got this responsibility to use it well. I pour it on the Because roof. when people are looking <laughs> over the fence, it's, right. it's not good look to see like they're you know there. There's water restrictions in place, and yet this golf course is like verdant green from edge to edge, and that's not a good look for golf. It's, and not. it's not. It's not a good look at private clubs, which is why the USGA needs to set the right example. Well, the USGA a, in its right. flagship event needs to be setting, showing us what golf is going to look like in 20 years' time. But instead, they've, they're showing us what golf looked like 20, 20 years ago. ago. And a, that's an experiment. This man-over-nature thing was a necessary experiment in golf, I think, to try and manufacture tough But it's done now. Tough us Yeah, let's stop it. It's, yeah. a, it's played out. The, the blowback for the rest of golf from that is
0: potentially – it's extremely damaging. It, 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 it's all too easy if you clover more – to point to that little video from so, well, this is what golf does. Now they won't explore whether that water was recycled and if they did happen to they'd make the point well it doesn't really matter is it still the best use of water. And they're all valid points. As a golfer, as a human I'm not comfortable with that being how you use water. I don't think that's a responsible use of water and you're right. For the USGA to do it in the showcase event sends a shocking message to the rest of the world and a shocking message to golf. How often do you hear this stuff Clayton? As both architect and player, nobody plays more golf than you. This this notion of what you see on television filters down to what golf clubs then try to reproduce at their own venues
2: well Augusta's the, the crime of that is that no no follow. The, well uh, people watch Augusta and think that green is good yeah. and then they watched the open at Hoylake in 2006 that was crispy brown and thought that was bad where one was exactly how golf should be and one's an yeah. artificial private playground which they can do what they want with their money but it, sends, it sets a bad example for golf because people assume Augusta is the best course in the world. That's what, it got, that's what golf looks like. And it's verdant green when it's just oversown ryegrass. But it's not the image that golf ought to have. Like, and what people don't ever give golf credit for, certainly in Melbourne and elsewhere, is that Melbourne's got probably the best suburban golf in the world. And the golf courses in Melbourne are the last great suburban preservers of indigenous vegetation. It's all gone. Everyone slashed out the indigenous eucalypts and the beautiful heathland plants that predominate in in the southeast of the city. They all got slashed out for ovals and parks and mainly houses, obviously, and and shopping centers. So the golf courses are the the last preserve of all that amazing indigenous vegetation. People bitch about golf and it's, it's terrible for the environment. Well, if you get rid of the golf course, you've got rid of everything. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, there's a great book called by Tim Lowe called Feral Future where he, where he spoke about the desecration of indigenous flora and fauna, all, all the mistakes the English made in or the British made in importing rabbits and cane toads and carp and kikuyu and all Good the beans. things we bought in to make the country better. <laughs> um you know, and he called Melbourne, Australia's weediest city. And he said, what's a weed? He said, something that doesn't belong. Mm. So the golf courses are the last preserve of things that actually belong. Because w- when you give man and woman a chance to change the environment, they've inevitably changed it for the worse yeah. in terms of what they've planted on it. And we talked last week
1: about golf courses being an important uh, aspect of stormwater management, for example. Mm. Like, it's better to flood a golf well, course than it is to flood the town next to it, you know. The, the tragedy of it being
0: that golf could really contribute something quite amazing in the environmental space. Yeah. Golf needs to realise that first, and then golf needs to tell the rest of the the non-golf world that it can play an important role. Yeah. So I feel like internally, Clates, we still have a lot of problems in golf. Lots and lots of people in- within golf don't get a lot of this stuff, and it would be very helpful if they did because it doesn't impact in any way, shape, or form the way you enjoy the game. Mm. Royal Melbourne is a fabulous example of what you were just talking about, who have annually, yeah. and we've talked about this Are on the pod
2: before. The, the did noted- Royal
1: Melbourne turn the sprinklers around to water the rough? Like, that's- <laughs> I'm not sure.
0: Have you seen that, Clayton? So they water the rough there at Royal Melbourne? It-
2: no, in fact, recently at Royal Melbourne, they've been putting matches in the rough to burn it yeah. <laughs> to, to regenerate... All those amazing heathland yeah. plants. Yeah. yeah, can you imagine? Imagine so, that,
1: if they turned the sprinklers around or programmed mm. a row of irrigation on either side of the thing to point it into yeah. the rough at Royal Melbourne. Melbourne. It'd, Royal it'd just be irrigation. astounding. Just too, but yeah. you know the the other I mean, thing about this, which makes it even, even more vexing, is that the USGA themselves <laughs> publish <laughs> yeah, information right. saying
0: why you don't, don't want US Open, don't open don't rough at your make course.
1: courses like US Open yeah. rough, and then yet they. Put the, on the biggest stage possible. Yeah. You could make a case now. I think the U.S. Open might be the biggest tournament in the world. It's uh, so different. The most it's important. Up, it's up there. Well, it's one of the
0: four. Clearly,
1: it's getting a lot of lot of eyeballs. Yeah. Um, they, they've got the opportunity there to set a good example. But what they're doing is the equivalent. It's like you know, if the if the Formula One governing body gave. Drivers a six pack to go like shoot this down before you go and jump in the car. See now I'd like, watch that. That's a terrible example. <laughs> I'm not an F one fan. But I'd watch that. <laughs> but it, oh, that's the same argument I think it was like. oh, we want to see the rough beat these guys up you know give them the six pack and send the drivers out on the on the road that's a terrible example i think we can all agree that's a terrible yeah, example the golfers a six pack and make them drink that before they yeah. Hit it oh yeah first. now, now, now it's all talking. in yeah. now you've got a sport that everybody can get on get on board but with that's what they're doing with this rough they're saying yeah. you know this is this is how you should present your golf course broadly speaking clates to me it it feels like this
0: if you look at the golf course an aerial shot of it and it sits comfortably in its landscape chances are they've got it right and yep. you look at tory pines from the air and I don't feel like you think that golf course sits comfortably in its landscape. Barmbougal Dunes does, the old course does, a lot of the Lynx courses do, and a lot of American and Australian courses do. New South Wales sits comfortably in its landscape right there on the cliff tops, uh, here in Sydney. But you look at Tory Pines and it does not sit comfortably in its landscape. It looks to have been forced in there, and that's when, that's the first clue, I think, that there's something not right uh, with the golf course.
2: Yeah, and of course, made multiple times worse by concrete paths all around oh, it which is oh, horrific sorry. oh this is triggering <laughs> <laughs> and, and if there's one place that doesn't have any excuse for for golf carts it's san diego with a perfect climate i mean i get in arizona where it's 120 degrees in the summer and you know you, you might need a golf cart because it's hot but not in san diego it's a perfect climate for golf you no one ever needs to get in a golf cart in san diego unless it's the only way they can get around yes yeah that, that and noise you about,
0: heard
1: was a can of worms. Oh boy! <laughs> Maybe they could dig those paths up and send them across to like New South Wales Golf Club. They they don't have enough concrete paths. They could. What
0: was that photo? <laughs> do, do, I don't know <laughs> if you saw this. What was the photo you posted with of New South during the week?
1: Well, I posted a photo of the seventh at New South, <laughs> seventh, which isn't yeah. one of the holes that people talk about a lot. But I Fantastic. think it oh, illustrates I what a like great. It, yeah. I, I think New South Wales is, you know, underrated in some ways, even though people claim it's overrated it's it's this weird thing but a hole like the seventh isn't one that people talk about much but it's a great hole Mm -hmm. um and which i think shows the caliber of the golf course but um that that showed if if anything ironically new south wales is a little bit Mm overgrassed. like it it has the cooch going way too far off the edges in my opinion Uh, but at least they don't water the cooch and that that photo really illustrated it The fairway was watered and it was a nice green. And I like a good fairway. I like a nice green fairway. Great playing surface. I'm not a monster. Um, (laughs) But then you go off that and you've got browned browned off wispy Mm -hmm. cooch. And then you go really wide and you've got eastern suburbs banksia scrub. Could anyone argue that that would be better? That's a clifftop course on the opposite side of the Pacific. What's the to snarky times. comment that you made? Repeat it. it was. Well, would anybody no, would it, think this is better?
0: If no. If, if they just made this wall to yeah. and watered the yeah. road, maybe we could hold yeah. an important talk. Yeah, exactly. Here too something, something like
1: that. Yeah, But no, nobody in their right mind is thinking that. But no. anyway, the, New South Wales does need to get rid of some grass. They'd go through with Roundup. Light application of Roundup. Along the sides there. You
0: cannot say that you're <laughs> on the side of the environment, and then advocate going out and putting Roundup all over a golf It's course, just a reset. Start again. Yeah, indeed. Let's uh, let's move on a bit. Um, KPMG Women's PGA. It's ah. first one here. The Women's PGA Championship this week, Clayton. So it's another Reese Jones course at Lander Athletic Club. So I don't Fantastic. think there'll be much, well, I don't think there'll be much architecturally <laughs> to grab our interest. However, uh, it is a step up from courses that women used to play we, I know we've discussed this issue before but we should be making this point more often this tournament was probably this one in the, the Women's British Open were the two that started taking top women's tournaments to revered prestigious courses yeah. it's been important hasn't it even if you don't like the golf course necessarily, Atlanta Athletic Club has a history in men's golf which has made it somewhat prestigious at that level fabulous to see this tournament in particular keeps doing this
2: yeah no, it's a, I think um, some of the women think this is a Better tournament than the U.S. Open, probably. I don't know, but I suspect it it might be more player friendly. But yeah, really good course this week. Uh, Side of the, arguably the greatest shot ever hit. Certainly one of the
0: David Thompson's layup.
2: No, no, David. No, Jerry Pates five (laughs) iron. Everyone remember Jerry Pates five iron? Yes,
0: everyone remembers Jerry Pates five iron. I think it really was so, one of the great shots in the history yeah,
2: game wasn't it It's a great shot I, um, I, I haven't played the course so I can't make any comment on that but I think it's a it's a great tournament I did read a tweet this morning of how ordinary the performance of the top players had been in recent major championships I think Nellie Corder three top fives or top tens in 20 Jessica maybe three in 50 so it was um, it's a bit like women's tennis it's Every woman that wins a major looks like she's going to dominate tennis and then someone else comes up and wins the next one and you never hear of the other one again. Seems to so, be more democratic uh, women's golf at the top, doesn't it? Than- it does, yeah. yeah. So it'll be interesting to see who plays well this week and who wins. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole bunch of players, like the men's game, a whole bunch of players, if they play their best, they win. Yes.
1: Suo's so playing well, seems to be
2: she's pretty confident. She's playing okay. She had sketchy last round last Sunday. week, 71, on an easy course. but. She's played, she's showed some form the last couple of weeks, some some decent rounds. So I would say five decent rounds out of eight. Yeah.
0: I I feel like still, Clance, we haven't seen the best of. So it feels to me like, so I haven't spoken to her for ages. I know that you communicate fairly regularly, Mm -hmm. but she's almost a prime example. It feels to me like the day she turned professional, we went out and followed her at. Pennant Hills it might have been here in Sydney. Oh, in, her the first, yeah. Yeah, she, in the Pro-Am series here yeah. in Sydney. And yeah. she was just a phenomenal player. Just relaxed, beautiful golf swing, lovely attitude to the game. Hit iron shot after iron shot close to the hole. I know the game doesn't remain that easy, but the further you step up, the harder it is to maintain that outlook and attitude, I feel. And I feel like Sue's one who's maybe fallen victim to that a bit. I don't ever think feel like we've seen her play that golf on the LPGA. It's like, do, do you know what I'm saying? I don't think we've seen the best of Suo. Yeah,
2: occasionally, top. but yeah. not often enough, no. probably. Yeah,
0: it's not, I don't think it's because she's not good enough. I do think she's good enough. No, as amateurs, her Lydia Cohen, and Minjee Lee were the three premier amateurs in the world, and she was well and truly in that discussion. The yeah. other two kicked on at the top level, and Suho hasn't yet. They called her a, a veteran on the commentary last
2: week. Well, she played a first yeah. Australian Did Open. Did you hear at that? Twelve was, was, was it? she 12? Yeah, I mean, how can you be a veteran at tw- five?
0: That was ridiculous, wasn't well, in it? The women's game. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah. Lexi's a veteran. Don't, let's not kid ourselves. She's 26. She's playing her 13th US Open a couple of weeks ago. 13 at the age of 26. It's unthinkable in the men. Yeah,
2: so, yeah, Sue played her first Australian Open at 12, so she'd right. been you know,
0: qualified 20, you know. for it. It wasn't like she was invited. She went out and qualified, didn't she? So
2: um, yeah. yeah, so she's been playing a long time. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, yeah, she's always a interesting player to watch. Hannah Green's kind of. Well, she's jumped over.
0: Hasn't she matured, I mean, Clates Hannah, as a player? She's just gone on with that job. I mean, she won. I think she surprised most of us, including herself, when she won the Women's PGA in yeah. 2019. Then won again. But has not. Nothing she does now is a surprise. Is it? She has really Got developed longer. into a player who's in the conversation every time a major comes around, and rightly so.
2: Yeah, good swing. I think I haven't seen her play for a while, but Sue tells me she's pretty long now, mm-hmm. which is always a benefit. Yeah, she's a terrific player. Yeah, I, I, I carried for. Julian Sue who played Mm. Hannah twice in the interstate series at Royal Melbourne I don't know five years ago maybe and Jules beat her twice not comfortably but two and one and maybe two and one twice but um, there wasn't much between them at that point so Julian went to college in America Hannah went on the tour and you know they're a mile apart now which doesn't mean that Jules couldn't catch up but Hannah was a good player then but if you if you'd said was she going to win a major within five years? Probably not. No. But she's a terrific looking player now.
0: Although, a little bit like Cam Smith, Hannah's career has been a series of, much of it through, most of it through good decisions of her own about where to play, succeeding at each level, jumping the hurdle that's in front at whatever level it happens to be, before sort of moving up to the next level. So. She turned pro, she won one of the Pro-Am's here in Sydney in that Pro-Am series, she went off to the Symmetra Tour, she mm-hmm. won three times on the Symmetra Tour to earn way to the LPGA. She's just been on this progression of improvement, and it's... For me, with Hannah, clearly aptitude is part of it. She's got, a, as you said, Claire, a, a good and improving golf swing. Nothing about her game that you go, wow, she's amazing at this or that. Yeah, great or that short, you know, like, I
1: think, underrated. Great, great, great short game. Short game yeah.
0: Extraordinary attitude. She's yeah. got the perfect attitude. Manages herself like.
1: beautifully. Yeah,
0: really on the does manage course, herself yeah. beautifully. And, and uh, for a young golfer, go out and watch Hannah, how she plays, but not just the shots, how she does everything in between yeah. and is still just a terrifically nice person. Takes the time to sign a ball for the kids and, and genuinely does it. You know,
2: she's a, She's a good people. What do you you expect for a Maori father and a Scottish (laughs) mother?
0: How much is to be said for being brung upright, Clayton? I actually think it's pretty important. I think Elvis – I would put Elvis in this category of uh, parents. Obviously, Liz being a top tennis player and a multiple doubles major winner. So she's seen the game at the very top levels. He's been surrounded by top athletes. But being brought upright, once you get into that world of huge amounts of money and top-level competitive golf, I think Adam Scott's probably a good example of this too being able to keep your head on and having been brought up right, for want of a better term, seriously important, I think, for both your on-course performance and off. Yes or no?
2: Uh, yeah, but, I mean, you know, Jason had a rough time growing up and came out of it pretty well because Coles Swatton was, I think, terrific for him. Mm-hmm. So at some point you're being brought up not necessarily by just by your parents but by the – I mean, I got I was brought up by people in golf who were older than me who – kicked me in the ass when I needed it and which not is hard you enough. Say, but
0: lots of good players you know, have been knobs too. Let's not pretend, yeah, <laughs> pretend that all good players are good players.
1: There is an alternate way to the top where it's all about me, 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 yeah, me yeah. and your whole life it's been about me and those guys are very successful um, as I consult my... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Amid yep. psychology degree hanging on the wall behind you there, Rod. I thought you were looking at the parking meter <laughs> you <laughs> no. before you'd have to go and feed the meter. <laughs> but yeah, look, uh, there's different ways to the top there, but I think that's that's one of them.
0: Yeah, Indeed, okay. we got a chance this week, Clayton. I think Hannah's a good chance this week. Minji hasn't played her best this year, but she certainly, at any given week, could turn it around. I would, I would imagine it wouldn't wouldn't surprise if she played well
1: this week. Sarah Kemp's um, playing the best golfer. Is, oh, is Sarah in the and field? Gabby Ruffles. Gabby I Ruffles. She's yeah. a bit of a smoky. She's, she's got it's, it,
2: whatever it is, I think. She played four majors and not finished outside the top 20 yet. Yeah. Possibly, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Just an
1: extraordinary career. So, uh, tricky stuff. Didn't qualify for the US Open. I don't know if that, that counts.
2: Which comes down to it's interesting. We were talking about it yesterday on a podcast um, where golf sits in terms of sports, young women, who are great athletes, pick to play. In Korea, it's the number one sport they choose to play, golf. Mm-hmm. In Australia, it sits somewhere below ping pong and <laughs> <laughs> wiffle boarding probably. Yet, if you were looking at making a career oh, yeah. oh. playing sport, mm. golf ought to be number one because there's no easier sport to make great money at than golf, I think. Well, women's golf. Yeah, you watched the Olympic swimming trials last week and if you don't finish in the top two, you don't even go to Tokyo. You're not even a factor. Yeah. So, oh, tennis
1: is hyper-competitive too, isn't it? Like
2: yeah. So, uh, yeah. And you look at how many young kids are out there flogging themselves playing sports that uh, were, were way ahead of golf where uh, I think golf is such a great sport to play. And, and if you, you want to play sport, it's not the reason you should play, but if you wanted to play sport at a high level, and or make a living out of it, golf will be number one if you're a talented Australian athlete. Mm. And there's nowhere near number one. It's not, it's not even number 10.
1: There's an interesting thing to that as well. Like my daughter played competitive tennis and
2: – Only because you ruined golf for it, didn't you?
0: By taking her to a clinic in <laughs> exactly. the middle of July at 6 o'clock in the <laughs> exactly. morning. She thought golf <laughs> yeah. was like this thing you
1: play in like icy conditions. <laughs> Good on you. Um, but, yeah, she played competitive tennis. She even, like, did some state squad stuff and, uh, you know, played the tournament circuit, the juniors. And that Julian Sue-Hannah Green scenario in tennis would be the end of Hannah Green's career in junior tennis. Like, if you get soundly beaten time after time, head-to-head with oh, the player. As a, as a junior. As a junior in tennis. You don't become tennis, a senior. You, you don't really progress. No. Like, you've got to be. It's, a, different, they are a, it's a very different game in the tennis. It's a. Yeah, to golf. but I think the fact that golf's an individual pursuit mm-hmm. is you can you can shrug that off and still have this belief in yourself, whereas junior tennis players are told from very early on, they've got to not just be beating their age group, they've got to be, like, the top of the age group above them to have any chance right. of progressing further in the game. Mm-hmm. And, I like, all along, I was telling my daughter, you know, she could actually just walk, like, play six-months a year or something play, play and she'd be in the pennant team yeah. at like It's just you know. a very
0: sad reflection on golf I, I agree in this sense Clay so we don't give it enough credit because it's golf and golf, in terms of gender and women and inclusiveness has got a long way to go but professionally golf has led the, state, the world in sport in terms of women the LPGA has been a thing for 60 years 50 years
2: absolutely yeah that's absolutely I mean I mean The prize money in tennis is distorted by how much money is in the majors, but week in, week out. The the golf is way ahead of tennis in terms of how it distributes its money. We played a – we call it the game. It's kind of an initiative of Jeff Ogilvie and I where we played on Monday. We have kind of five groups of pros and kids all playing together and kind of passing down stuff and playing with each other. And We played with a young girl who had gone to a private school Crawfield Grammar. I went to Scotch. It was someone else who'd been there. I mean, Jeff went to a private school. You know, the, the one game that most private school kids finish up playing in their 30s, in their, in their middle and later life is golf. And yet it's almost actively discouraged. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no golf in private schools. I was certainly not encouraged to play golf. I did, but I wasn't encouraged to play yet it's the one game that those schools ought to be encouraging kids to play because it's the one game most of them finish up playing after they leave school.
0: Yeah, it's a, yeah, golf has a long way to go in terms of selling itself to the outside and it all comes back to this image that the game has which wouldn't be helped by your private school example were it to go ahead plates right. of being the preserve of the wealthy and the middle class. Yeah, and, and
2: played by rich white men.
0: That's right. Which is 90%. true but it's not 100% true and, and we well, just it's not don't see to... it's
2: not, not true at all well, the, yeah, it's ludicrous you
0: don't have to go far to find rich middle aged white men playing golf <laughs> let's be completely fair but it's not the whole story i guess it's probably more no. more to the point point. and we we as golf do nothing about that. We are so It's probably partly because we've got our own media,
1: we have our own language in golf
0: we don't feel the need to talk to anybody else because we've got everything
1: we need contained within golf to keep us happy and sustain our golf interest. And the few times we bump up against another sport, and I think this is interesting, (laughs) (laughs) interesting part of the discussion, there was the, the US Open women's had the issue with the gymnastics, bumped up against the gymnastics and started off a Twitter war with the US Open men's, there's we bumped up against the swimming trials and started another Twitter war. To me, it was golf's worst behaviour on Not display absolutely. there, where everybody's making fun of swimming Twitter and gymnastics Twitter, and the the other side of that is just like, look, who look, yeah, who are these people and why are you being so aggressive to us? Like, and uh, golf it came off as trying to be, oh, isn't this fun? We're having a Twitter spout, Aren't we but it than actually, everybody just, else? it just came off as trolling yeah, and uh, aggressive online behaviour. And in, uh, I'd encourage golfers to read and don't respond. Whatever you do, do not respond. <laughs> but just read the thread of some of the swimming Twitter people that they had to put up with. Do you want me from, to put it in the show notes? From golfer behaviour. No, because I, I actually don't want <laughs> to. You wanna, don't want to start it again. I don't want to promote it. Like, yeah. But True. just re- read it at Marrickville. People who care there. about it, read it and reflect on it. And yeah, the Facebook Marrickville thing. And just look at how golf is, like golfers react. Itself. To to non golfers, our golf portrays itself yeah, for the it's, rest of the world. It's bratty and spoiled. And yeah, and try and view it as not golf or swimming. View it as um, I don't know, just some other topic, um, glo- global warming or something, yeah. just to make it less inflammatory. On you. Yeah. Uh, and and ask yourself which side is behaving badly. Yeah, and yeah. you know it's. Just to put, you, put people in the picture,
0: Marrickville Golf Course here in Sydney, there was some discussion about 12, 18 months ago, I think it was, about uh, closing part of the course to return it to the public and all that sort of nonsense that we talked about before. There was a Facebook group started about that, Clates, and the behaviour of golfers in that Facebook group, and the behaviour that non-golfers in that group were pointing out that golfers had inflicted upon them when they tried to walk around the golf course at Marrickville was eye-opening, and in, it made you embarrassed to be a golfer. Yeah. And we need to fix that in golf. We really do. Otherwise, we will get nowhere.
2: We should tear down the fences, as I've said many times. Right? Should.
0: Have you yet been banned from your club for continually suggesting this? It can't go down well.
2: Tear down the... Well, most of them don't listen to this, so they, they no, would never sure. know what I think. But. Okay.
0: They'll, they'll all point to Dunny-Doo, you know that. So well, that's what happens when you no, don't, don't have... Vandalism. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, we'll just point to St Andrews and say, well, it doesn't happen at
1: the old course, or most of the Lynx courses over there. Speaking of St Andrews, you're off to play St Andrews Beach? Uh, this morning with uh, I think John Parry-Evans and Rob John- Williamson.
2: Yeah, yeah, I'll avoid discussing politics. I was going to say, them, but yeah. in, 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 a perfect, in a perfect world, they'll
0: be constantly down the right and you'll be down the left. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how that's going to, you better hope there's a lot of left pins out there today and you'll be uh, okay. That'll
1: give be, give uh, them our regards. Yeah, give them our regards. Oh, well, um, Just quickly crazy. fill us in on
0: that concept of the game before we let you go. The game, this thing that you're doing with Jeff Over, you touched on it, but tell uh, us what that's about because I think it's fascinating and a real positive.
2: Well, we started off when there was nothing to play in last year. Uh, I organized a tournament at St Andrews Beach where Jeff played, Sue played. I think we had 36 holes. We had 30 or 40 players, Blake Collier, Lucas Michelle, a bunch of amateurs, kids, men, women, just playing for the sake of playing because there was nothing to play in. So it's morphed into Simon Clark, who's caddies for Zach Murray, has kind of taken this one up and we play pretty much every week. We've played Royal Melbourne, Sandringham, Kingston Heath, Metro.
0: Clubs have been open to that? They've been welcoming Clubs have been, for
2: clubs have been fantastic. Yeah. Victoria. Um, clubs have been great. We just get kind of 20 or 25 players.
0: And so we've got amateurs, sort of elitish yep. amateurs. A-
2: am- am- amateurs, pros. You know, it's hard to get girls because they're young and lo- lots of are in school. Uh-huh. Uh, but we you know, we get as many girls as we can. It's it's great fun and and then we have the thing called the Gen Z which is where we've played so far at Wodonga and at Horsham and we've got more coming up where the club puts in $10,000 the players put in $5,500 entry fee 12 to 15 pros twenty four amateurs, 36 holes no, sorry, they've been 18 holes, but I, I, I want to make them 36. So getting back to when I was playing as a kid where the best players in Victoria played against each other. So Jeff Paslow, John Davis, Ellen Heil, all the best pros played with the best amateurs. And that got, those open tournaments were all lost and run over by pro-ams, which were, to put it bluntly, one pro playing with a bunch of hackers, yeah. three hackers in each group, which is a terrible way to promote, you know, it's a fine way to, Make a living at the basis level of pro golf, but doesn't do anyone any good. Doesn't do anything for the pros, does it? it doesn't do anything for the, the ends, pros. Ultimately, and we need to get back to where we've got the best players playing with each other and mentoring and passing down and passing up knowledge, and yeah, you know, th- that's what we ought to be doing. So we're we're trying to get that going again.
0: Just the opportunity for – and who are some of the other pros? I know Jeff's very active in it because he's
2: back living in Melbourne now, and uh, obviously
0: yourself, but what do you got, like the likes of Marcus Fraser and some of that kind of ilk, and Matt Griffin, I Fraser, suppose, is at home?
2: Matt, Matt, Matt Griffin played when he was here. He was obviously up in Japan. Uh, Dave McAlessie played, Blake Collier, uh, me. Um, Sue played when she was here. Yeah.
0: So for young amateurs considering this as a professional, you can't buy that. Like, can you imagine just the opportunity to talk to Jeff Ogilvy mm-hmm. about – he was what, you got to third in the world, I think, Jeff?
2: Yeah, so we played one at the National. I didn't play, I couldn't play, but Jeff played one at the National with a 14 year old kid there, Lenny Savile, who, I mean, he was just so happy to be playing with Jeff. It was, a, it was brilliant.
0: I'm surprised a 14 year old because you think about it, it's been what? It's been mm. 15 years now since Jeff won the US Open. Je- Jeff who? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. There'd be a lot of Jeff who.
2: So there were some think, great photos, and it was a great image yeah. for golf is that, you know, he's a 45 year old ex US Open champion. Playing with a 14-year-old kid who's just and lapping you, it
0: up. How are you covering Jeff's appearance fee for these events, Clades? It would be <laughs> astronomical, wouldn't it, as a major champion?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Pays petrol. And um, no, Jeff's been great. So, so, it really has.
0: That's giving know, back, isn't it? You can have foundations and, and there's nothing wrong with it. Nobody's suggesting it. But what he's doing there, it, it literally is priceless. Going out and actually playing with the next generation of players is a magnificent gift to the game. So, And for you too. Um, you know we forget that you made a living playing this game for 30 years that's driven a lot of people mad it hasn't done your mental health much good i know that but that's an extraordinary achievement which we don't rate highly enough to make a living playing golf for the best part of 3 decades is amazing
1: interestingly that that whole concept one of one of my enduring memories from like when i was you know there was these little golf camps that you'd go on at Narrabeen. i am oh, yeah. in, in um it was a big sports in Sydney, centre. Yeah, yeah the sports centre there and one of the days they always put on an exhibition between a top amateur and a pro. And I don't remember who the pro was, actually, so it didn't leave that much of a lasting impression. But the top amateur was Tony Gresham. Oh, wow. And they went and played a few holes around Cromer and, you know, all these 14-, 15-year-olds following him around. Mm. And I, I just never forget it. And I followed – I didn't know – di- I didn't need to know that Tony Gresham was who he was back then. That was the first I'd ever heard of him. But I did remember the name, and then I looked him up, and then I thought – and then I followed him. And I was like, oh, this, this bloke. You know, he's, he's achieved quite a lot in the game. And uh, it, it just, it stuck with me to this day. I still remember some of the shots they hit in that that little exhibition that they did around Cromer. For a
0: did few did you read in there that he was beaten by 1M Clayton, <laughs> Tony did, Gresham? At I mean, Royal it
2: was, Queensland, was <laughs> Yeah. You know, and that was the throw. I mean, it was interesting. I won that amateur in 1970. I beat Gresh Royal Queensland. I think before me, in the 80 years before me, Jim Ferrier, Ted Bohr, Bruce Devlin, Bob Shearer, Terry Gale, and Bill Britton had turned pro. So six out of in, in 80 years. I won in 78, and since then I think every single one had turned yeah, pro, sure. turned pro. So the biggest change in my life in amateur golf is that it's gone from being a game that was played by career amateurs who played golf incredibly seriously, but they played as amateurs and had proper jobs and families and slept in their own bed every night to it's just a game played amongst kids now who are, who are assistant pros. So I was reading a thread on Twitter today about these guys that have pulled out of the Olympics and the argument, well, it should be an Olympic uh, – you know, the Olympic golf should be an amateur sport. No. Which is such a ludicrous notion because there is no amateur golf anymore. It's just pre-pro golf. That's right. Th- there are no real amateurs anymore. So saying Olympic golf should be an amateur was just ludicrous? There's three There's golfs, one, isn't there, golfs.
0: There's recreational amateur and professional. And amateur is elite, amateur, pro in waiting. <laughs> They're the three stages yeah. of golf. And, so this and, could be the dream no team. One no, no,
2: no one of course would want to watch wouldn't.
0: it. No, of course they wouldn't. And people would say, oh, it'd be a great event. Nonsense. That's just, yeah. A mixed event. Well, let's quickly talk about the Olympics, because you're right. The list of players that are out is long. West Hazen's out. Tyrrell Hatton, Sergio Garcia. Uh, Dustin Johnson's already said he's out. Adam Scott, I think, had already announced that he wouldn't play. Uh, Edecki will play, which will probably save it. Um, plenty of top so plenty of the world's top players have knocked the Olympics back. Does golf still have a place in the Olympics? You were there in 2016, Clay. at the Olympics. I think before you weren't. You weren't a campaigner for golf to be in the Olympics. I think your attitude might have changed a bit having been there. Uh, where does golf stand with the Olympics? I can't see the Olympics continuing to allow golf to have a place if golf continues to turn its back the way it has, particularly in the men's game at the top of the men's game.
2: Well, the, the women's the women don't qualified at all in terms of that. I mean, they all play. Yes. Women have been great. So if they kick the men out and just have women, that would be fine. Controversial, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the men are kind of pathetic, but I, I think putting the PGA in May was a mistake because it jammed the schedule up so much. The PGA would be better off in October or September. Or being the, the Olympic
0: event every four years, just throwing it out there again.
2: <laughs> yeah. you know, Well, the, the PGA – Every every Olympic year should be in Australia and South Africa and somewhere else that out of America, so you can play in January and February and November and December. Mm. Is it, it the, PGA, great great the, the, the PGA? That's the problem. The FedEx and- Cup
1: playoffs, the
2: FedEx well, Cup it's playoffs it, are the you, things that jam well, the,
1: the, the schedule up. Well, the, in the
0: US now, where the 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 schedule has been compressed to the point with the FedEx Cup and the way it's been brought back, yeah. There's essentially from March when you have the players until the end of the FedEx Cup, there are big events every month. Yeah. All the majors are in there. There's some significant PGA Tour events that have got some cachet. But it's there's you know, there is not a month that goes by without a big, big, big time golf event. And of course, you you just can't just add another one to it and expect that the players will all say, Yes, I've got some Sympathy in that sense, but I think the the truth is, Clay, it's really behind it all. And they talk about the scheduling; all those things are realistic. There was no nobody found any trouble finding a hole for the masters in their schedule in November last year. The truth is that top men's golfers are indifferent to the Olympics, aren't they? They just don't care about it. That's well, the
2: truth. It sounds like it, yeah. And, and there is no money, which I think is an outrage, given the multi billions of dollars that the IOC pocket for the TV money that every athlete who goes to Tokyo. Isn't handed fifty thousand bucks in cash for being there. In fact, they all turn up for mm. nothing. They, they ought to withhold their labour and the, refuse. There's to a long and interesting. Well, there's so, a long and interesting
0: discussion to be had about whether or not that ultimately would work in the long term. I take your point. And I think it's interesting, but isn't it part of what makes it work?
1: Well, I mean, for the professional golfers, nobody's you know. Sad that they're not getting fifty thousand dollars, but the people who put their life on hold for four years training, or you know, for what dec- a, choice, a decade, a decade, all of these people training, choice. but some of those knowing sports, the rules
0: before you go in.
1: Yeah, some of those sports have nobody no said money you'll in make it. a million and then you didn't. Yeah, I don't know. It, look. Some of those sports have no money in them at all. But so don't play them. You're uh, serious? You, you don't get, play them. You get a
2: little bit of uh, no. Play, a, the, play yeah, them. But passion, when you go yeah. onto the world stage once every four years when the people that run it are making billions out of it pay the start
0: well you want to play the Ryder Cup players now too is that where this is going no,
2: no, no. <laughs>
0: it's the same thing isn't it
2: well they well, turn well, up they for do, free get, well they do get paid they get their money for the charity
0: now they didn't yeah. before 98 was it 98 it was the no. year of the Divalo mirror
2: well it was and they get to keep the clothes don't they that they wear the bag. Well, yeah. for, for how much <laughs> money everyone else is making out of the Ryder Cup yeah. the stars should get paid
0: well, there's an interesting discussion to be had here. Anybody who's listened this far, no doubt, will have some thoughts on Twitter. I think there's an interesting discussion about Because I take your point, it's interesting, and you're right in a lot of ways, but I don't think it's as simple as the organisers make a fortune they should then just spread that money to the athletes. I also don't think it's as simple as the athletes should never get anything and the organisers should keep it all. I do think there's an interesting discussion to be had there. But Yeah. Nobody forces should, you to play sport for a living.
2: Should golf be in the Olympics? Well, it's never going to be the pinnacle of the game. No. So... I assume for most sports in Tokyo next month, winning a gold medal is the pinnacle of this particular sport. Mm, Not tennis, tennis, not golf.
1: Basketball, probably not. Greco-Roman wrestling. Greco-Roman I think wrestling, yes. outside of the Olympics. It's yeah. just, yeah. <laughs> ska- We've
0: got skateboarding this year? Skateboarding in this year? I think BMX is, is in this year. Well, they have
1: those. a tour, at least, you know, and sponsors, and there's a bit of money in a sport like that. But, skateboarding? You yeah. hope so. Yeah. Pretty dangerous. You've seen what they do. <laughs> Break a leg
0: just watching it. Yeah. The, uh, I think
2: the more, ar- inter- more interestingly is that Golf ought to come up with a more interesting format. It yeah. should be mixed.
0: Agreed. Don't don't disagree with that at all. The, the thing about it, though, Clay, is it might ultimately be generational. If golf can survive in the Olympics for long enough, and Sue is the Sue oh is the prime example of this, and I've told this story before I know. She knows where she was when she heard the announcement that golf was going to be in the Olympics, and she was on the practice screen at Metro. And as soon as she heard the news, she said, wow, I could play in the Olympics one day. Yeah. Now, that has never happened to any generation before. Uh, it didn't happen for you. Certainly didn't happen for Dustin Johnson or Adam Scott or Louis will but there's a generation of kids
1: who that is a reality for, and that might change their just perception of. of add to politics. that, add to that the mixed thing. The, the one of the greatest trivia questions in sport is: what are the Olympic sports where men compete against women? Mm. If you could add golf equestrian? into that, equestrian and sailing. Uh, uh, there archery? might be a third. Okay. Is there archery? Shooting? I don't think shooting is. Uh, anyway, I know for sure equestrian and sailing. Um, if conditions. you could add golf into the answers to that, that'd be a tremendous thing for golf. Oh, so you're saying play against, as in a mixed field, not as in a team event of mixed. Well, if it's a team, then you know by definition a team made there's, up of men and women sh- are playing against another some team some of men, of men and women. So
0: stupid reason they came up with Clayton, while they couldn't have a team event.
1: No, crazy. Was some crazy a te- a team, team of men and women would would put golf into that answer, and I think that uh, that's something to aspire to for golf. To become to, trivial. To be, to be <laughs> to, part, part of the trivia question of like what Olympic sports really have, have men competing against women. No, I never expected to fall down this rabbit hole. And yet here we
0: are. I blame you for that, Clates. So let's wrap it up there. Uh, appreciate you taking the time. I'd always good to chat to you. Enjoy your day. Enjoy you your day to, on, on, so now, on the course with uh, Robbie. Say hello to Robbie and J.E. for us. I be, shall. That'll be interesting. And thank you, Log. Always good to get your thoughts. And your terms and conditions. I'm really enjoying them. I haven't managed to institute them in my own life yet, but I'm, I'm looking for opportunities all the time. So
1: Thanks. And to anybody who doesn't opt into my terms and conditions, <laughs> you can send your complaints to rod at talkinggolf.com. <laughs> and I'll put them in the show notes.
0: <laughs> Episode 81 done and dusted. Thanks for listening. If you've come this far, we'll be back to do it all again next week, of course, here on the Good Good Golf Podcast.